Welcome to episode number 17 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. We're looking at creating a global community around workplace safety and industries handling combustible dust and powdered materials. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with John Forrester, Managing Editor at Powder and Bulk Solids. I really enjoy this conversation with John because he has a totally different background than a lot of the previous guests and than myself. He's not an engineer. He's, he's self-proclaimed, not a technical person. Although I think with the amount of incidents he's looked at in the, the research he's done over the last number of years, he's, he's probably become quite proficient in that area. But his background's in journalism and media and news reporting. So I must admit that the, the interview today is kind of of a selfish nature because I want to get John on and get his views on incident reporting from traditional media, from trade magazines, and how that all kind of fits together so that we can be better educated and better aware when we're using this information for the incident database. I've had a lot of conversations with John over the last year, at least, on this topic and what the different groups are. And he calls it the combustible dust news reporting ecosystem in the podcast. But how does traditional news reporting, first responders, fire marshals, how does that information combine with trade magazines like Powder and Bulk Solids? And then also combine with the information on awareness and education that we're creating and university groups and then really high value reports like the Chemical Safety Board. How does that all fit together in this environment to, at the end of the day, learn from these incidents as they happen. So I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with Powder and Bulk Solids, but I would encourage you to go check out their website at powderbulksolids.com. Um, they're always releasing a lot of great information on equipment, on manufacturers, on products in this area of bulk solids handling, but they also do a lot on combustible dust safety. I was fortunate enough to attend the International Powder Show in Rosemount, just outside of Chicago last year. They host that every two years, and I hope to get to Toronto for the regional Canadian show on June 4th of 2019. And with that, I just want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast, and I hope you enjoy today's interview and discussion with John Forster. Welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. In today's episode, we're doing an interview with John Forster, Managing Editor at Powder and Bulk Solids. John, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Hello, everybody. So John's background is in journalism. It's in news reporting understanding brick and mortar and online digital media. And I, I met him back in early 2018 when we were launching the combustible dust it's in database. Um, I met him through the articles he's publishing with powder and bulk solids and the work that they are doing with the powder show that uh, I was actually fortunate enough to present at in Chicago. And John's really my kind of go-to source for understanding what news outlets are doing um, when the reporting data, what their kind of objectives and goals are, then even understanding some of the holes in our incident reporting and how we get information from that. So I want to have him on the show to, to really get the, the genesis of the conversations we've had offline out into the, the community so that you can see how that looks. So John, if you could just take a few moments and explain what your current role looks like with Powder and Box Solids. Sure. So I spend a good chunk of my day combing the web uh, for stories uh, about the powder handling industry. So Obviously, those encompass a lot of industries, uh, chemicals, pharmaceuticals, food, things like that. But with that, uh, I look especially for combustible dust incidents, uh, so fires and explosions. Um, and most often, I'm looking through local media reports. I'm looking at uh, the social media pages and accounts of local fire departments, fire marshals, Sometimes at the company's websites, they occasionally also post information about these sorts of things. But generally looking to keep the powder handling community aware 
um, of the risks that are constantly present. Right. So in, in some of our discussions, we got into some of the breakdown of, of what the different media sources are. And one of the big ones that, that I didn't really think of until you mentioned it was this difference between trade press or trade, trade media, that'd be like powder and bulk solids or industry trade magazines, then this traditional media that might have sort of different objectives, your kind of small local regional. Can you go through those a bit and give us a bit of background on what that looks like? Absolutely. So uh, local traditional media, which would be like your local television news station or your local newspaper, maybe a local radio station, um, they're going to approach stories about combustible dust incidents um, with the community in their minds first. So they're looking at things like road closures, evacuations, sometimes injuries to local firefighters, things like that. Whereas the trade press, like powder and bulk solids, we try to collect information about these incidents and frame them in a way that's of interest to engineers and other technical professionals. So in other words, somebody who is working at a plant that handles particulate materials and has combustible dust hazards, um, they're not necessarily looking to learn about the ins and outs of the firefighting effort or how the local Red Cross brought water to area residents that were evacuated. Um, They're looking for the process factors and equipment-related factors that led to these incidents. Um, So they're very different audiences, and the trade press and traditional media have very different approaches to to covering these incidents. A, A big sort of issue with the way that traditional media covers these incidents is that um, there's a race to to get information out the door. For one, that's a practicality, right? So if there's a, a leakage of hazardous materials or road closures or evacuations, they can tell people in that community, hey, this stuff's going on. You should know about it. Whereas the trade press, we sometimes write about these things days after they happen, but we have more time to collect information that's of interest to engineers and technical professionals. Whereas, you know, the local news organizations are collecting information in the moment. Sometimes it's not always correct. They don't often have the cause of the incident included in those pieces because the fire marshal hasn't had time to conduct an investigation. And then, you know, a lot of times those traditional media outlets cover these stories once, like, hey, this is happening, but they never follow up on it and write a story about why it happened. Yes, I see that. I mean, that's the biggest issue, single issue that we have with reporting on these incidents as they happen is they're often incomplete um, and, and very frequently have, you know, incorrect information because they don't have that expertise. And then I think the trade organization is sort of a step up from that because they'll They'll actually take and frame it in the right way um, so that's useful for engineers or technical people and may even dig in a little bit farther. And then I guess who else might be involved? So we have, you know, what we do, which is taking it in and reframing in terms of awareness and education. But I can also envision these kind of high value investigations like U.S. Chemical Safety Board, where they'll, they'll take it and maybe do a five-year or a, a two-year investigation. Universities may take it as and give it to a PhD student or a professor there. Like there's all these different range of, of information available. And as you go up the, the value ladder, if you will, you know, less of them make it through. So we may only get one CSP report every couple of years, 
where with the instant database, we may see 10 fires and, and two or three explosions every week. Kind of from that landscape, how do you, how do you see that playing out? And are there any other actors, if you will, that I, I sort of missed in that, that uh, bunch? Sure. So for this kind of news to really generate actionable results uh, for operations that have combustible dust hazards present, um, there really needs to be some sort of collaboration in this, what I call the combustible dust incident news ecosystem. So at the very top of that, the gold standard of information would be from government or official sources. So people like fire marshals, organizations like the CSB or OSHA, um, OSHA investigations and citations, although there are a lot less of them um, publicized these days. You know, that's, that has the most concrete information as to the cause and the factors that led to these incidents that are of use to engineers and technical professionals. You know, local media does a good job um, at getting sort of initial reports out the door and raising local awareness um, and drawing some attention to the problem. I think trade media does a decent job at, at sort of framing these incidents for an industry audience. And then there are, again, organizations like Dust Safety Science, Purdue University, Texas A&M's Mary Kay O'Connor Process Safety Center um, that are conducting sort of bigger efforts to collect and analyze this data. Again, the, these bigger regulatory agencies have budget, budgetary concerns that may sort of prevent those reports from coming out more frequently. They have large workloads and few people to do the work. So it really takes a group of dedicated researchers to harvest this information and make something of it. And uh, I don't think that there's any really pure or perfect form of data that's going to emerge. It's going to be messy any way you, you cut that cake. But I think collaboration between those different actors in the ecosystem um, and increased interaction can, can help things move forward. Um, I think dust safety science is doing a good job at, at sort of having a long-range view of, of how can we do something with this data and harness sort of the lessons that, are, that, that these incidents contain. Um, and, and it's no sort of one, any one of those parties that can really affect change. It's got to be sort of a complete effort among all actors. Yeah, I like that. The the combustible dust instant news ecosystem. Trademark John Forrester. <laughs> we have to we'll have to uh we'll have to figure out a way to include that somehow. No, I really like that description. I mean, powder and bulk solids also plays a, a big role, obviously, in that UBM advanced manufacturing, putting on the powder show. And what what that kind of role is, and the part that part that I like about that is that's really bringing that community together in person to discuss those topics. So if you you go to one of those meetings, then you're you're going to have your um, teaching and your presentations and where you can sit down and actually learn about the topics. But you can also talk to the equipment manufacturers, consultants, get an idea what you know what the new topics are on the ground. Kind of dig into your your perspective a bit. You've done a lot of it with your journalism background, with your um, news reporting background. What are some of the the if if you could I don't know tips and tricks or things that you run into when you're dealing with this more traditional media? Because that's what it's a little bit of a selfish question because that's what we're typically doing with the incident database. 
uh, a lot these days. What what kind of roadblocks have you ran into there or even things to be careful of? Well, first and foremost, uh, local media often has an utter lack of awareness of engineering terminology process or handling equipment they don't they don't know the terms for those things so sometimes when you see you know grain bin in a story or conveyor or feeder or what have you you've got to second guess what they're saying because uh the reporter or sometimes even the fire department giving them that information doesn't know what they're talking about Um, the other thing you see in local media reports is that the piece of equipment or process that was involved in in contributing to the fire or explosion is buried in like the third paragraph, if it appears at all. So sometimes a fire official will say it was dust-related, but you'll have no idea from that story what type of equipment or where in the plant that incident occurred. So yeah, sometimes finding that information for engineers and technical professionals requires some serious digging. Um, and sometimes it's, it's frankly, it's just not there at all. So, you know, part of the challenge really, again, um, with basing your entire idea of what combustible dust explosions are from local news reports is that um, they're just often missing these essential key things of interest. Um, again, the official documents press releases from fire departments or fire marshals, um, regulatory investigation reports, things like that, have a lot more meat in them to work with than your average dispatch from the field that a television news station would would put out there. And have you had any success with actually communicating with with those groups that do maybe the higher level analysis or have a little bit more um, understanding. For instance, we we're trying to figure out how to verify um, explosive incidents as they come in. We've done it where we've called the fire department, and that's actually usually really helpful. I've had a case where I thought a wood dust collector explosion. The, the way it read in the news article was that there was a small shop. Uh, they had a fire that got sucked into the dust collector, and I can't remember if it actually ended up with an explosion or it was just a fire. But calling the the fire marshal's office, it actually turned out to be a Levi's jean shredding operation, where they're shredding the jeans for to be used like in a in a rubber mat or as a, a small textile thread. So they have a shredder with the jeans that they're sending through. Um, I don't know why Levi's specifically, but that's what what he said. And the the shredder caught fire and got sucked into the dust collector that's attached to the system, which you wouldn't think of shredded Levi jeans. If you're in that operation, you probably wouldn't think of that being a combustible dust. Those textile fibers could actually, if they're if they're small enough and and high enough concentration, could lead to an explosion. So we learned a lot of information from calling the the fire department, but it takes you know two or three phone calls at least, and then you know half an hour to an hour on the phone. And just with the the amount of incidents we're seeing a week, that really wasn't feasible to do for everyone. So now we're trying to figure out if there's more expedient ways that we should be selecting and picking should be trying to connect with OSHA. Do you have any ideas on on that, on this kind of verifying of, of news sources with your background? A lot of times police, fire departments, and other organizations like that are strapped for resources. Um, and they're also very busy dealing with other incidents. Um, so it can be a challenge to get a hold of them and get information from them in a timely manner. 
uh, in an ideal world, there would be some sort of streamlined fire and explosion incident reporting system or a way that fire marshals could perhaps um, electronically submit reports. But the the hard reality of it is that it is a uh, it does require scuffing some shoe leather and hitting the streets uh, and knocking on doors to to really get information. It's a manual process. So I, I don't think that is likely to change, but I do think that there could be a more coordinated effort with fire officials if 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 it was an attractive enough opportunity. Right. And so maybe kind of going back a bit, I think we've talked a lot now about the incidents and how to get better information from traditional media, the different types of media sources, including, you know, trade press, including reports that are created by U.S. Common Safety Board or universities or even the, the work that we're doing. What are some of the the audiences for this type of information that the Powder and Bulk is really trying to to appeal to and and that are really using this in their day-to-day operations? Sure. So first and foremost, it's the the companies that work with powders and bulk solids and have combustible dust hazards present in their facilities. And they're interested in, you know, protecting their bottom line and their workers. Um, so no, no company wants to be in a bad headline, you know? So it's, it's a lesson um, that's out there of the real world hazards that they constantly face. Um, so that's, that's the first one. Um, Equipment producers also are interested in this news um, just because they're constantly working to innovate their equipment, make sure it functions as best as it can and as safe as it can. So, you know, they need to stay on top of that news too. Regulators also follow this news um, just to see what's out there in the mass media about these incidents. Also, the fire protection community, so fire departments and people that firefighters that work for them um, just because these fires are often challenging to put out and explosions are challenging to deal with Um, so they're interested in this Um, and also the fire protection and safety community which are like consultants and other organizations like the nfpa because they're helping these facilities to comply with existing standards um, and the NFPA is creating standards that impact these facilities. So they need to stay on top of what's going on in industry as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd add to that, even all those groups in North America, but also internationally, I know quite a few uh, people that that really look to the United States and look to a lot of the information that's put out from the groups here to help train their people around the world. And the specific example comes from an episode that just came out recently with Ali Al Nashdawi um, in in Port Aqaba, Jordan, in the Middle East, and that's episode number thirteen. And he actually teaches courses at the local university there, where he'll use chemical safety board videos. Um, he'll use things like powder and bulk solid write-ups that they're doing to to teach locally combustible dust safety and, and more generally process safety. So it's it's actually a wider ecosystem geographically than you would you would even think, because a lot of this information is being used by others that we're, we're creating here if we're digging in more. That's absolutely correct. And, and certainly, yeah, this problem isn't limited to the United States. And I think Europe has its 
um, stuff together a little bit better um, than the U.S. in some some respects. The U.S. is ahead of the game in other respects, but it's still such a nascent thing um, that you know it, your database is a, a relatively new resource. You know, OSHA doesn't have a combustible dust standard. Um, you know, so these things are developing still in the U.S. and elsewhere, and it's it's very interesting to see how the ways that the U.S. leads and the ways that it doesn't, you know, but I think it's challenging when you look at international incidents to really, as a reporter, to to find solid resources on those incidents. So especially official documents, um, because again, there's often a language barrier. Oftentimes you're relying, if it's from an English language news source from that country, you're just relying on um, however well somebody translated the documents and and that's not always you know it's not always done well so so you know reporting on these incidents on an international level is certainly challenging but there is i know in africa there's a a large amount of uh, development in the grain processing industry there and agricultural processing and it's certainly something that some countries like nigeria are looking more closely at it, it's 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 a growing field, both in the U.S. and internationally, uh, but it's still the gaps in knowledge and the overall lack of awareness is still relatively low. Yeah, I would agree. And and I don't know if I've ever really shared this on the, the podcast, but our team, and when I mentioned that we're trying to do things like call fire departments and that, I can add to that. We, have, we now have a team of, of four as of February 2019 working on the Itzen database. Uh, myself, a research analyst, a research assistant, and then just a, a, a content and projects manager that pulls it all together. But we, we've we actually, our our research analyst knows German. So it was one of the, the nice things because we were getting a lot of incidents coming through Germany and we'd have to Google translate them and they would come in partially. Um, we have contacts that also um, have some other, other languages, including uh, things from the Netherlands and Belgium and different areas. So we're trying to actually pull that information in because it is a is quite a bit of a barrier. And then just having kind of a small team makes it harder to verify these. I think uh, that's probably a, a really good spot to to finish up on the podcast. But I did want to see what if somebody wants to learn about powder and bulk solids or the great information that you guys are putting out, what are the what kind of couple of things are going on right now with with uh, your group and and where's the best place for them to go? Well, we have a show coming up powder show toronto this june which is an opportunity for technical and um, technical professionals and engineers to get together in person and see some of the latest equipment that's out there Um, and again also the powder show that takes place every two years in rosemont illinois but beyond that yeah the our website powderbulksolids.com features a variety of technical content on combustible dust related issues um, I know also some equipment makers have some really great dust explosion meetups and events like Rembi um, every year. So again, take a look. I'd urge anyone in the powder handling industry to really take a look at this ecosystem. Um, look at what equipment makers are saying. Look at what dust safety science and other universities and research organizations are saying. Um, look, of course, at local media. Um, I urge anyone to support local media. Um, and 
the trade press, like powder and bulk solids, again, for that engineering and technical perspective on these stories. Yeah, that's that's a good place to end it there. And I really appreciate taking the time to talk through this. Like I said, journalism and news reporting is not my background, but through our conversation today and, and definitely our conversations um, over the last year, I'm learning a bit more about what's good about it, where the holes might be, the way things should be framed for the the certain audiences that we're trying to reach out to. And hopefully at the end of the day, that will result in the work that we're doing being more useful and more helpful for the community overall. And then in your your kind of comments about bringing the community together and having one ecosystem that really is able to collectively figure out the way forward, I, I think that's a really powerful way to do it. And Hopefully that's something that we continue to encourage and push moving forward. And hopefully we can create some some information that can drive uh, results for industry, um, positive results. Certainly. Well, so we'll end it there. Um, if you want to visit the Powder and Bulk Solids website, you can certainly just, just Google their name. It'll come up. Um, but we'll also include some articles related to combustible dust, um, recent articles that they've released at dustsafetyscience.com slash 17 for this episode, which would be episode 17. I will also include links to the upcoming powder show in Toronto and the, the International Powder Show in, in Rosemount next year. Um, and you can also find any of the events like that will be listed in the events calendar at dustsafetyscience.com slash events, I think it's at. And you can find out more. And John, I want to say thanks again, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Okay, we'll, we'll talk again soon. I hope you enjoyed that interview with John Forrester of Powder and Bulk Solids. A lot of the information they shared actually is making me kind of rethink how we may need to approach incident reporting from the combustible dust incident database, how well we trust traditional news sources, how we might partner up with other resources, with university groups, with government groups, with trade magazines like Powder and Bulk Solids to get a more robust system for sharing, tracking, and capturing this information. One of the big things we'd like to do moving into the, the remainder of this year for 2019, one of our big goals was understanding combustible dust as a global problem. As part of this, I would encourage if you're part of a government organization or one of these different member groups in the, the so-called news reporting ecosystem that uh, or incident reporting ecosystem that John mentioned, I'd encourage you to reach out. You can do so in either the, the comments at dustsafetyscience.com slash 17 for this episode or shoot me an email at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. Um, whether that's when this is coming out or even future in the future down the road. With the incident reporting and incident database, I'd really like to get a good catalog of what these incidents look like, where are the lessons learned throughout the world. That way we can, as I, I mentioned in the podcast episode, share with regions maybe that don't have that information, but also learn from regions that are doing it in different ways what might be working. So I want to thank John again for his time um, and also encourage you to check out Powder and Bulk Solids at powderbulksolids.com. And at the events listing, you can find their next show, either the one that's coming up in Toronto, or you can find uh, the dates for their 2020 International Powder Show in Rosemount, or any of the other great information that they're putting out, including webinar series on combustible dust. And with that, I hope you have a safe week, and I appreciate everything you're doing in industries handling combustible dust and powder materials. <laughs>